Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida. Brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy. In this download, Jacksonville Business Journal Editor-in-Chief Tim Gibbons welcomes one of our ultimate CEO honorees, Kwong Pham of Cadrenal Therapeutics. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me. I know you have one of the, the fastest growing companies, both in Florida and the state. So uh, getting a couple minutes of your time is uh, not always easy. So I do appreciate it. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, Tim, and uh, the rest of the uh, staff at the Jacksonville Business Journal. And uh, as I said in my speech, uh, you've been very kind to us. And I think as a small company in a non-biotech hub, uh, it really helps with the uh, coverage you've given us as well as uh, my previous company, Asparo Biopharma. Well, I do want to talk about where you see the uh, life sciences going, both in Jacksonville and in Florida, but I want to start out talking about one of the things that kind of was the, the news peg for this conversation is the award that you recently received from BioFlorida, the group that represents about almost 9,000 life sciences companies and organizations. So they named your IPO of Cadrenio Therapeutics their deal of the year. I want to get into a little bit about what that means, but let's start out by kind of orienting listeners about what your company is and does. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, just uh, as a disclosure of a uh, CEO or speaker about a public company, the uh, forward statements, you know, our deck is uh, at our website, cadrino.com. And I just want to make sure I get that to your viewers and listeners. Uh, We formed Cadrino in 2021 and acquired the drug Tocarifen, which is an oral reversible uh, once daily uh, anticoagulant or blood thinner in the same class as warfarin, a vitamin K antagonist. And I had been working on Tocarifen in my previous company since 2017. So I've had this continuous interaction with the FDA as well as working um, in the regulatory uh, advancement of the drug. We saw a, a great opportunity for the drug in a, an orphan category. So, you know, when you have a broad approach, orphan, the Orphan Drug Act has been around for about 30 something years. And it's Congress passing that act to incentivize small drug development companies like ours to work on drugs that affect less than 200,000 patients in the United States, giving us some incentive as well as a seven years exclusivity uh, from the date of approval. So you take tocarifen, which is the same class as warfarin, uh, used to be called Coumadin. Then you have this huge class of drugs called Eliquis and Zoralto and Pradaxa, which are also oral anticoagulants to treat basically blood clots, uh, venous thrombosis, other issues with clotting, which is causes you know strokes and heart attacks. So then we looked at the market and said, warfarin is genericized, it's losing market share. Uh, Eliquis is taking, you know, a big chunk. Where is the unmet need where warfarin has been ineffective and the newer drugs are not being used or are contraindicated, which means they cannot be used at all. It could cause harm to the patients. And we found three categories. The first one being patients who required a blood thinner that have uh, a kidney disease on dialysis, uh, failing kidneys, who also have concurrent atrial fibrillation or like a heartbeat. That's one. The other one is patients with implanted medical devices. So patients that have congenital heart or valve issues, they have mechanical heart valves or the pumps called the left ventricular assist device to help heart failures patients stay alive. 
anytime you put an implanted medical device into your cardiovascular system, there's going to be a threat of clotting. So you you have to take a blood thinner for life. And so warfarin is very challenging for those patients. So there's another one that potentially that we can enter. And then the third one is a uh, autoimmune system called uh, APS, a phospholipid syndrome, where the body overproduces antibodies, which causes blood clots. And so in that scenario, the newer drugs aren't being used and warfarin is unreliable. So I think we, on the basis of that, we believe the drug could be used in multiple rare medical conditions. We went public in January of this year, and we believe it was the first IPO uh, in biopharma. These are the worst times for our industry for fundraising privately or publicly. Uh, Market capitalization has been dwindled. Stock prices have been cut in half into tens, into 20 folds. Stock that used to trade for 80 plus dollars are now at $2. We went out at five and we're down you know, in the 53 cents. There's a number of reasons for that, which the experts will talk about, but the reality is we have enough cash to proceed. We can do what we can to control our destiny, which is to advance manufacturing. They have more regulatory options by the FDA, as well as talk to uh, key opinion leaders and providers about the need for an alternative blood thinner. So those are the things we believe will advance the company during these difficult times. The BioFlorida Award was- It was a deal of the year and uh, clearly getting it over the IPO finish line in the current circumstances. Um, I know we talked around that time, you know, it was a Herculean task. Why go through with an IPO considering what the market was like? Well, I think the IPO option for us is, you know, Tecarfin's, uh has been around, um, 90 million approximately has been invested in a drug. It's changed hands a few times. And it's all disclosed in our filings with the Secure Exchange Commission. And that's not uncommon in our industry. Drug candidates will be hot and they'll, they'll be bought or then becomes idle because a new drug class comes into the marketplace. And then, you know, the founders or people who are passionate about the drug will bring it out. And I think we have a company called Esperion that did that. A drug that was going to threaten Libertor was parked. Then the founders came back and brought it out when Lipitor was going generic. Another company called New Amsterdam took some cardiovascular drugs from Amgen that had been parked, took it out, did a huge half a billion dollar uh, SPAC, special uh, purpose acquisition corporation. So we decided to go public because for the last 18 months, the uh, you know anytime there's lack of M&A and the IPO market is difficult, it trickles down to the private placement as well as you know, the smaller rounds, private rounds. And so when you have an advanced drug like Tecarfin in late stage, when you go talk to private investors, you know, they're interested in making investment in early stage drug because they get a bigger return. And so later stage drugs are usually held by public companies or big pharma. So then we decide to go the public route, which for us, the deal of the year also included the uh, private placement that we did in July, which brought another seven and a half million into the company at a very still a very difficult time. So the deal of the year is the IPO and the private placement. And I think when you look at the state of Florida, most biotech hubs that are established in the United States include Northern California, Southern California, Boston, uh, Research Triangle Park, some in Atlanta and Seattle. And what's the commonality? Biochemistry and physics research universities. We don't have one in Jacksonville, in the physics, in the biology or chemistry. We have UF, a great institution, Tecarfin was discovered by a chemist from the University of Florida, but he had moved to California by then when he actually worked on a drug, but he is a UF grad. And so what you see is a hub that's 90 miles away. And now I think we, there's some UF 
graduate programs coming into the city, which is very exciting. That's number one. Research University, Genentech, Amgen in California. They have the University of California, Stanford. Um, the second is uh, people who come out of big pharma who become entrepreneurs, people who have put in their hours and years of big pharma. They know how to get a drug through the trials. And the third is venture capitalist investors that are specifically for the life science investor investment company. So, but I think in these days, post COVID people are working virtually everywhere. And so investors um, have done investment and entrepreneurs have done roadshow for the IPO since 2000, 2001, post COVID with no traveling to New York, LA, the Bay area. And so that's the new model. And so I think investors want to know not where you are, but what kind of molecule do you have? What kind of intellectual property do you have? Uh, what kind of team do you have? And what's your strategy in entering the market and your your regular strategy with, with the FDA? And how do you differentiate the drug? Those are the things they ask about, which is different than the other business sectors, right? The other business sectors want to know your revenue, your sales, your margin, how many square feet are you renting or leasing, and how many headcount you have. Our business is about creating value, a drug for the world. And uh, none of us have revenue in the drug development world. We don't have EBITDA. We have negative EPS. But what we have is what kind of regulatory gains do you have? What barriers to entry as far as intellectual properties? And how long does it take to get your drug? You know, that's the key question they're asking this day. You, you don't have 10 years anymore. You don't have 200 million that you can burn through and say, well, you know, it was the wrong approach. They want to know is, where are the late state drugs? Okay, what does it take to get that drug to approval? So you got into the pharmaceutical industry after serving the Marine Corps, um, yes. flying helicopters, if I recall correctly, right? Yes. Why pharmaceuticals? It was a time in the 90s when the big drugs were coming out. Claritin, Prilosec, these are the big billion-dollar blockbusters, they call it, in the 90s. So you know, the story was there was a senior vice president of human resource that had been a Marine officer in Vietnam, and he joined Pfizer after the war. And by the 90s, he made it a point to hire uh, what they call JMO, junior military officers, you know, not the career, not the not the majors, the colonels, basically captains and lieutenants that came out of the military, five to six years of experience. You come out, you go in the field sales for a few years, you come inside of marketing and you go through the corporate, which is sales and marketing or logistics. And so I was hired into that big wave in 1995. I'd gone to Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Um, I didn't have to get out of the Marine Corps. I was offered to stay as a regular commissioned officer, uh, but I wanted a challenge. And I think the uh, when you leave the military, the bureaucracy, your schedule is pretty much at the behold of the, of the, uh, the unit and deploying. To be in Southern California to be a prilosic salesman with my own schedule uh, with a bonus plan was very, very enticing. And so uh, I got into it purely uh, by accident. But then my mom back then told me that we had family in Vietnam and South Vietnam that had been working for, uh, you know, Sanofi, um, a European a drug company. So we have some of that in our family. It was a, it was a pure accident. So, but, my, but my route of becoming uh, an executive was through the venture back. Uh, years in, in Southern California in the 2000 until I moved to, to Florida in 2011. Um, I, I just never, I never let that hold me back as far as don't having a Rolodex. Um, I think if you come out with the enthusiasm, you keep at it. And, you know, you see me at events over the last eight to 10 years, you know, I feel very good in Jacksonville uh, from the beaches to downtown that there are a group of entrepreneurs 
investors, and I think big company uh, retirees that have you know funded us. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you know we're purely funded. Uh, the first four investors are Floridians, and the first three are Ponte Vedra and Jacksonville residents. So uh, it can be done. It's not the the playbook of venture back uh, venture rich area. Nobody says you have to go get money from A, B, and C. Um, it's just about doing it what is the most efficient way that works for you. And it's what I usually tell the few folks that ask me, you know, how did you do it in this market? How did you do it when you, you know, do you have to go back to uh, Southern California or New York? No, we raise money here first, then we get money from an institution in New York. Kwong Pham joining us. Next, he shares lessons learned in growing companies as Florida Business Minds continues. People's Gas, working with businesses across Florida to lower energy usage and costs with efficient natural gas. Get cash back energy conservation rebates when you install new natural gas equipment. Learn more at peoplesgas.com slash biz rebates. So you mentioned a sphere of biofarm at one point uh, when you were CEO is the, the fastest growing company in the Jacksonville area. And you talk about working for the companies that you worked for in California. As you look back over your career in the pharmaceutical industry, is there one lesson that you've learned that you think would be good for people to hear as they're looking to grow companies like yours across Florida? I would say the number one lesson is you've got to revisit your assumptions. Before you execute a business plan, you have to write one, whether it's a PowerPoint, executive summary, financial modeling. You're going to work with some assumptions. You're going to have assumptions on headcount, spending, time to market, uh, regulatory hurdles. You have to revisit those assumptions. And so one of the things in, in the Sparrow that we did when we you know, started in 2014 in Jacksonville was that we took on a couple of drugs that were in the marketplace. So we had sales that so we grew very fast. Then we acquired two drugs that needed development. And all of a sudden, we were a small company trying to go public with uh, three drugs in the marketplace with a lot of regulatory requirements, logistic requirements, getting it through the pharmaceutical chain and getting it out to the retail. So, you know, when you go to the pharmacy like Walgreens and CVS, voila, it's there. Okay. This takes a lot from <laughs> the manufacturer to ship in the United States or if it's managed for somewhere else. So, then we try to take on two um, late stage drugs. Uh, it was too much. The assumption was that we wanted to be a diversified emerging company. And I think some people would say that you're trying to do too much. Mm. And so the assumption that, well, you know, we have five different shots on goal. Well, try to be good at one shot on goal. Okay. And that's what we're doing now. I think I've, we've learned from that. And so we decided not to be all things. Um, but I, that's what I would, you know, I, I can't say I can advise people, but I can just share what, you know, we experience is that you got to recheck your assumptions because the environment is not static. It's always fluid with the FDA, with the marketplace, look at Congress and the pricing pressure in our industry. You, know, you just can't assume that you're going to get a drug approved and it's going to launch and make, you know, uh, investors uh, and shareholders, you know, a lot of money anymore because that's not you know, the motto of, 15, 20 years ago um, are not working anymore. They're not working from five years ago. Hmm. Uh, you just cannot burn tons of money and not advance the drug in the regulatory cycle. 
We mentioned BioFlorida in terms of the Deal of the Year Award. But one of the things I find interesting looking at their recent convention is what it says about the state. Obviously, Florida is growing as an economy. You know, People are coming here and life sciences are becoming ever more important across the state. As you look across Florida, where do you see the future of the life sciences, you know, Florida-wide, but then specifically, of course, in Jacksonville? I think, you know, Florida is a very attractive state for lifestyle, obviously, of the no income tax, specifically in Jacksonville. It's closer, you know, by 45 minute flight, obviously, than Miami to New Jersey, New York, 30, 45 minutes. So there's an advantage there. The nearest hub is outside of uh, Jacksonville is really Atlanta. Atlanta has probably a dozen medical device pharmaceutical company that is thriving. It's got Emory. Um, it's got it, you know, the University of Georgia in Athens, just you know, an hour outside. So I think with UF coming in with its graduate programs and research, that's going to really help us. And I think being 90 miles away is not really, you know, two hours, you know, it's two hours, an hour and a half hour drive. So I think that's a positive. You can take a drug, license it, out license it from UF, bring it to Jacksonville, and you have a you know a nice workforce. And once again, the investors and the shareholders just want to know you're advancing the company forward, not where you live or where your headquarters is anymore, at least for us. And so you can have a chief medical officer in New Jersey. You can have the CEO in Jacksonville. You can have researchers you know, at Duke. That's the model of a small emerging lean company. No longer is, you know, where's your headquarters and how many square feet are you leasing and how many people do you have in your headquarters? Hmm. You know, that's not the model for emerging biopharma anymore. It's about can you get a drug advance from phase one to two, two to three, three to uh, submitting an, a new drug application in in a very efficient capital um, utilization and time and not be around for 15 years and still be in phase one or two. Those days, I believe, are over. And so yeah, you speed, speed very, market is everything now. Yeah. You have to be able to make decisions in terms of this is not the way for this molecule. So either you have to go to another molecule or you have to take the molecule into you know a more uh, efficient way because the capital are not, you know, the capital is not a plenty like it was two to four years ago when people were going public and preclinical in animals. So I think the future for Jacksonville and Florida is very bright because you do have a number of pharmaceutical executives who retire or have, you know, have been, uh, the company has been purchased. And so they become, you know, pre-retiree, but entrepreneurs. Now you have people who have come out of big pharma who may, you know, be new to entrepreneurism, but it's when you have a lot of capital personally, um, entrepreneurialism becomes a little easier. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) As so many things are when you have a lot of capital. Um, So you've talked about the future of the state and the future of Jacksonville. What about the the future of Quadrennial? What's next for you? You know, so, you know, I think we have that in our plans and all of our releases, you know, we want to advance the drug into a clinical trial, you know, second half of next year. So we're preparing the manufacturing to get in the drug for the trial ready. And then we want to have a single drug that has multiple applications. All of them will be to prevent blood clots in patients who require chronic anticoagulation, uh, who also have rare medical conditions. And that's, you know, that's it. That's our mission. And we constantly revisit it. So it's one drug with potentially three uses in the orphan space, one of which has been um, approved by the FDA. The other two, um, we, we, you know, we've said data as well as application. Um, but, you know, we're staying in Florida. We're staying in Ponte Vedra. You'll be seeing me around. 
I did get some exposure where I did mention to, to to entrepreneurs that people have helped me and I would be glad to help back. But the more efficiently you give me the information about your company and what you're looking for, the better use of your time and my time together. So I'm doing that for two companies as people have helped me fundraise as well as guided me. So I, you know, I hope to keep that alive. And I think at the bottom line is is results. I think you in the media give us a lot of headlines and I think you know we have to hold ourselves responsible for advancing the company. I think in the faster way than you know people investors aren't as patient as is in the past. Uh, <laughs> and so you you know I, I think they're realistic and I think entrepreneurs have to be pragmatic about how they use you know the scarce capital that if they're lucky to raise like we did to advance um, you know their programs forward. Wonderful. Well, that was everything I had to ask. Again, I really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with me today. Well, thank you, Tim. And thank you to, to uh, the team at the Jacksonville Business Journal. You've been a very good uh, partner in terms of giving you know small companies like ours coverage that live forever in the internet. We really do enjoy seeing the uh, local economy grow. So thanks for being a part of it. And thanks for being a part of this conversation. Thanks, Tim. Thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida. Brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy.